Well, welcome back to Chaos Movies. Have I got a funny doozy for you? This particular film that I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to go into detail as far as the directors and screenwriters are concerned. I don't give a shit. Um, no Good Deed. This is a movie starring Idris Elba, Taji P. Henson, who I mentioned uh, in a few other podcasts. I think she was in Proud Mary. Obviously, we've got Idris Elba, the man, Heimdall, um, possibly the future James Bond, which I don't think he's doing anymore, but and uh, Leslie Bibb. It's a very simple, it's a very simple setup, this film. It doesn't give away too much because that's the title, right? No Good Deed. We all know the saying, no good deed goes unpunished. And in this particular film, it's centered around a very, very fucking narcissistic man. I've been doing a lot of Googling on narcissism. It's it's clear to me what it is, but at the same time, it's got levels. And those levels consist of various uh, styles, I guess you could say. Probably styles is not a very good word to use. My apologies. But this movie makes mention of a term called malignant narcissism. And that was used in the very early stages of this movie where Idris Elba's character was up for parole. He has a lot of assaults against five women that you don't know too much about. It's a little bit of a gray area, but he escaped that and ended up in a barroom brawl, apparently over a female, and gets manslaughter charge of five years. Well, it's 10 to 15 years. You don't find that out until later, but he just says he's out in five. And I was like, wow, five years for manslaughter in, in the States or Tennessee. That's where it's at. And it turns out to be 10 to 15 years. That's what he actually got for manslaughter. He's up for parole, five years, and he goes before the parole board and says that he's not a very good liar, which in fact, if anyone knows, they're not narcissistic people or the traits of a narcissism um, uh, disorder, they are fucking very good at lying. They're very much centered around themselves, you know, much to what we would want to be. Sometimes we might have slight narcissistic traits like, you know, I'm, hey, man, I'm super awesome or wow, man, I'm like, I'm really good at that. But these guys are a whole nother level. So when they mention malignant narcissism, I think it's in reference to the 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 theatrical show he puts on for the sh- for the parole board and it must be a unanimous or decision by all six parole board members and of course the one that's acting against him is trying to get him to demonstrate his malicious violence within himself and of course that almost comes to fruition but doesn't doesn't get there all the way because we need a movie, right? We need, we've got a movie to see. So let's just break down malignant narcissism. It's a, it's a psychological syndrome, okay? This movie seems to want to advertise that, like it's not his fault, not his control. They still don't know where it comes from or just narcissism. They don't know how it extends to be environment or genetics or, or um, sexuality or whatever. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, they don't know how it comes about, but it, it mostly comprises of an ex- extreme mix of narcissism, 
antisocial behavior, aggression, sadism, and at the end of the day, um, the there's a there's a real excitement when they rise to hostility, and it's it's basically they get a rise out of power. Okay, that's that simple. So malignant narcissism is actually hypothetical. It's not exactly a real diagnosis, but the experimental and the real narcissistic personality disorder, which is NPD, is in the doctor's journal, let's just say. I'm not going to give you the proper term, but the actual malignant narcissism is actually just a syndrome that they've sort of gone, okay, it, it is NPD with antisocial, paranoia, sadistic personality behaviors. So, wow. Not only is narcissism bad, but the hypothetical malignant narcissism, this movie really gives you that. Just a little rundown there. I'm not an expert. You can look it up yourself. I don't give a shit. But in this movie, Idris Elba is just a, a walking, talking contradiction of power and self. They've got no empathy for others. Um, clearly, the way they set it up in this film, you know, he gets knocked back by the parole board and he ceases an attempt to escape via a friendly guard, which happens to be black. Idris Elba is black. I'm not a fan of them doing that so they can kind of get the two characters to relate on screen. Like, hey, man, I'm really going to be playing, praying for you today, Colin, and you're pro- like, what? This dude is five years into a, a um, manslaughter charge with five families that seriously think he did something bad to their girls. Oh, it's just five? One, yeah, questionable. Two, hmm, coincidence, five families with a problem with this guy and daughters that he you know, did some stuff to. And then he gets done for a manslaughter charge after escaping the authorities for a couple of months. So the judge said that the evidence against him was illusionary with the girls. So therefore, he had no choice but to just nail him with the manslaughter charge and hope that was enough. So if you're a guard in a prison system, maybe, maybe you have an intuition, maybe you have a sense that some of these uh, inmates might have a second chance looming and they might be do better. But that's the perfect thing about narcissistic behavior. They are the ultimate people at convincing, lying, altering stories, making people believe in what they are, is, what they're doing is correct or justified. So, of course, this guard felt for him. So once he got knocked back, he intentionally makes his face bloody while he's in the back of a van, handcuffed in front, not behind his back. Mind you, this is a manslaughter criminal and his hands are cuffed at the front, not the back. So the guard that's in the back with him has to give him a tissue and then, of course, Idris just headbutts the fuck out of this guy in fine form, steals his gun, says to Colin, uh, not Colin, says to the guard in the front seat, put your gun down, man, you guys are all going to go home. You're all going to be good. You're all going to be safe. I truly think he believes that because he's at the point of power. So there's nothing more. There's nothing better than that power. He's got the gun to the white cop, uh, guard's head 
while he's convincing the blackguard not to shoot him. And that's an ultimate position of power. But I've watched this part several times now. I keep re- rewinding it. I wish we had the old school uh, slow-mo trick going on because I don't know how the hell both of the guards end up dying. What would the white guard get shot by the look of it and the black guard gets shot by Idris Elba. So I'm assuming the gun that's in this movie accidentally discharges, shooting the guard in the back, uh, like in the back of the car. So it's like a luck thing. I mean, I don't, don't even get me started. I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to go, oh, okay, the guard in the front accidentally shot his firearm, killing the guard in the back, leaving Idris Elba to go, what the fuck? All right, I'm free. The ballistics is going to match. It's not going to be me who shot them. It's going to be them too. So I'm at this point in the movie, I'm like, okay, what are we, where, what, what are we saying with that? So moving on from that point though, because that's a really strange thing to do in a movie, Maybe make it a little bit more obvious that the guy actually attempted to pull the trigger, like when he said, put the gun, put the gun down, you're going to go home safe. Not puts it down and it discharges because the guy wasn't even looking. That, that's, just, that's probably just a poor uh, separate, uh, like a poor, not a direction, but whatever. It's just poor. And then after that, you don't hear anything about this criminal who they paint so vividly as a a bad guy or a um you know um the narcissistic possible killer possible everything in this movie and um they 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 just really hype him up only for him to escape and then you don't hear a word about him for literally the rest of the movie he's free He's able to track down his ex-partner, ex-wife or whatever, who he's been watching for a while. It, it, it's just, eh, this guy's like most wanted. They say it at the start. He's literally the most wanted person out there. And that's what annoys me the most is, is in movies like this, they're trying to set it up. So at the start, they set it up as a big, you know, he's psychopath, like narcissistic. He, he's this, this and this. They set up um, Tony P. Henson, who he laid a praise on, as a wife who's struggling with a marriage to a husband who's a lawyer and she's got two kids and he's never around. Uh, she's dealing with Renos, dealing with kids, vomit on a shirt, and her husband comes home and she's not feeling the love or the appreciation. So they set those two things up. Narcissistic guy who just preys on women, girl who seems to be not really coping at home with a husband and might look for a little bit of an extra endeavor, which is a bit of a shitty thing to do in a movie because she's just having a tough time. It doesn't mean she's going to go cheat on the guy, but that's the movie. That's where, that's how they've set it. No good deed goes unpunished. So let's just say, as I said, you don't hear anything about the news going, Hey, there was a, there was an escaped man who killed two guards, highly dangerous murderer now, like literally first-degree murder, two counts. Don't want to put that out in the news. There's a massive storm out, and he walks down the he, – he, he basically – I'm not going to tell you what he does with the X. You can, you can just – you can unravel that. that uh, you know, I, I, for the first time in my life, 
I rang my ex up today, my ex-partner Michelle, and said to her, hey, just remember that movie Fear that we used to watch with Mark Wahlberg? Loved it, right? I'm like, he's totally narcissistic, right? And she's like, oh, hell yeah. And he's a psychopath. I'm like, right. It's the first time really that I start to notice things that I've watched in the past when you start to study a certain thing, watch a movie that's sort of got a connection to it and you start going, wow, that's like real narcissism. And then I started going, okay, well, hold on. I've seen that. It's Mark Warburg in the movie Fear with Reese Witherspoon. He is classic narcissism, lack of empathy, power, strength, love for them, like excessive, excessive love for themselves and complete disregard for others. That's this, but without the Mark Warburg. Idris Elba plays this part really well. That is one of the highlights to this film. You forget that it's Idris Elba. And you know what? Keep doing what you're doing, man. I've said this before. I love movies when we get actors who are just basically a decent actor, wholesome kind of every category. But when they want to test their limits that possibly might scar them, especially in this movie, women who might have thought he was attractive probably look at him now and go, whoa. I don't like him anymore because he's he's kind of a, you know, what I mean. But he does it and hats off to him. Uh, Kevin Costner did it in Mr. Brooks. And he is he's charismatic as fuck and so is Idris Elba to a degree. But they spend a lot of time in this movie letting you know that he can't do anything about it. That part I'm not cool on. If they don't know the origin, origins of uh, narcissism and the exact way it happens in a movie, don't play it off like it's not his fault and it's just, oh, well, natural selection or it's just this is what happens if you come across a narcissistic guy and it's just like shit happens kind of thing. They really make it look like he's struggling with focus at some points when, and I think I noticed it when, they, the, the victim in this movie starts talking about herself. Even though he set it up, when she starts talking about himself, that's when he starts losing focus. Like he's like, hey, let's focus back on me, please. Enough about you. It's about me. I'm the, I'm the man here. I'm, I need the power. I need the love. I need to be doted on. That's a, that is a cool feature though. That, that's, from a movie point of view, that's cool. But just don't sell off narcissism as though it's not 100% um. Yeah, no, that's that's probably wrong of me to say that. It's not their fault, I guess you could say, but at the end of the day, they're the ones fucking people's lives up and killing other people and making other people's lives miserable. So someone's got to be held accountable regardless, and I'm sure we will do it in other aspects of, of the law. But here, it just makes a really it just makes a really good point for me to talk about. So she she willingly lets old mate in, in the house because he crashes his car down the street. Standard story, standard MO. Hey, man, you know, he does a really good job. At, although when she answers the door, she's thinking it's going to be her friend Meg, played by Leslie Bibb, who said she was coming around for a girl's night out or girl's night in because, you know, she doesn't get to do much. And she opens up the door and she sees Idris's back turned. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Hey. Hello. Hey. He doesn't do anything. She's just like, can I help you? And he turns around. Oh, sorry to bother you, man. I'm like, man, 
big, scary, muscly dude standing at the end of your, your front door entrance not responding to your first three sentences, you'd be like, just close the door and then look through the peephole and see what's going on now that you've seen. Instead, she just sees there because I guess this is where the part of her feeling unloved and unwanted and appreciated by her own husband probably plays into it because she sees a man who's hurt, has a good story, cars crashed even though it's 2014 and no one ever leaves their phone at home. Maybe in this case it's true, but that's what he says to get in. And she buys it, lets him borrow his borrow her phone, closes the door, and then when a kid breaks a glass in the kitchen yeah it's, i suppose that's valid if i'm at the front door and my kids smash a glass your instinct is not to close the door and quickly lock it you're a parent your first priority is the safety of your own kids so you turn around run back but idris disappears in that frame and when she runs back and has a look and he's not there she's like oh shit i left the door open turns back then the camera goes back outside and there's Idris on the phone to the tow truck company. I'm like, what? That, just don't be that obvious. Just, just let it go. Let it play out. Don't, don't. We know he's going to get inside the house at some point because the movie is based like that. We know. Don't, don't need to throw those little things like someone who's dumb enough to read this title and go, oh, okay, this movie's just about no good deed and the guy never makes it inside the house. Of course he does. Don't tantalize us with stupid shit like that. Just let him get in the house and watch him work his charismatic charm, which he does. And she's a little bit foolish. She falls for it. But as I said, she seems a little bit disconnected from her husband. So she's going to play the field, but then she doesn't want to. And you can just see his rage building throughout this movie when he sees a photo of the husband or the kids. These are distractions. These are things that are going to they're gonna um, push his buttons. And this is where the malignant narcissistic personality comes into it. The, the hypothetical version is that not only is it about his own power and his own truth and, and whatever, it's about antisocial behavior, things that are distract him from the goal, sadist, uh, like he's a sadist or sadism. They're all the things that you get to showcase. So it's like this movie was meant to push the hypothetical, experimental, malignant narcissism. Maybe that's what they were doing. Maybe that. Maybe the doctors endorsed this movie. Maybe doctors said, hey, people aren't listening to us about this extra case that we've got. Maybe let's make a movie. How about that? All right, cool. Who are we going to get? Idris Elba? Yeah, he's a good-looking dude. Yeah, he's crazy-looking. All right, let's, let's put him in the movie so he can push this version of narcissism. And they do a good job at that. I'm not going to lie. They certainly let you know, especially when Meg rocks up which is, um, of course, it's cliche. It's just after an intense scene in the bedroom when he finally figures out that Taji P's husband isn't coming home. She lied. That's the first rule when you're in the presence of a narcissistic personality disorder person. Don't lie. Because even if it's benefiting them in terms of them finding out that the husband isn't coming home, and she's all his for the night during a storm. He cares more about the fact that his power was fractured by a lie on her behalf. And of course, she says, "It's hey, the tow truck's here. All right, cool. Your ride's here. Cool, let's go. And that's where it gets a little bit intense and she opens up the door and it's Meg. 
uh, Leslie Bibb. Leslie Bibb is a white girl who went to um, NYU uh, as a college buddy. So they know everything about each other. But she seems a little bit of a hornbag in this movie. She seems to want to get on everything. I mean, she's a beautiful girl. She's a cool actress. I love her. But in this movie, they play her off as the slut. The chick who's just down for anything because she seems to think her friend has also been underappreciated by her husband that maybe she needs to flirt a little bit. And that's not going to sit well with Idris because, well, it does it at first because it plays into his character. He's got two girls, but it's a, it's a, the, the, the new girl is affecting his ability to be with the one he desires and obsesses over the most. And that would be Taji's character. I thought, forgetting that I'm not an ex- expert on narcissism, maybe I thought, hey, dude's going to have a fucking threesome with a black girl and a white girl, and he's buff, he's living the life. The news isn't talking about him, but that doesn't seem to work. It's not about sexuality. It's, well, it's not sexuality, sorry. It's not about a sexual intimacy with this type of disorder. I looked it up. It doesn't seem there is there is a sexual trait to this disorder, but it doesn't seem to mean what I think it means. It's all about power and dominance, and self, self, uh, not love, but he. They're obsessed with themselves and their own ability to control everyone and anything around them. One thing that does annoy me, after saying all that, is that. You find out that Taji's character, before she met her, like they were, they were in uni, uh, they were in college together, and he's a he's a hotshot lawyer, and she was too. She was a lawyer for the DA, and then she proceeds to tell him that she mostly dealt with cases with violence against women, and that the men made it really easy for her to do her job. And of course, that's questioning his his fellow kin or not kin or his fellow man. So he's like, oh, how do you mean? She goes, oh, because, you know, they stuff up all the time. They're weak and pathetic. (laughs) Oh, man, they're probably the worst words you can use against someone with a disorder like this. I mean, they could just say, oh, they made it so easy for us because they just, um, you know, did things a little bit differently and they they made mistakes. That would have flown, that would have, that would have, probably gone under the radar a little bit better than calling them pathetic because he's thinking you're talking to his internal character. Just his, his, his core belief of I'm nothing. I'm, you are inferior to me and blah, blah, blah. That's probably, you know, if you're the, the district attorney, you are almost up there. Like you're like ultimate, right? Next up from a district attorney, I'm assuming is a, um, a judge or whatnot. And yeah, she just lays it all out. That probably frustrates him a little bit. So when we go back to the whole Leslie Bibb situation and she's just hitting on him left, right and center, but when he asks them, this is what I mean by contradiction, he asks them, how did you two meet? And that was completely him asking that question. But no, you know, whatever. He asks and when they start talking, he just goes off on a blur. This is where the movie starts to let you know that he can't control his urges and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. But uh, it seems to be centered around the fact that they're talking about themselves and he's not involved in this conversation that he set up. This is the contradiction between narcissism and, and true nature is that 
there's no there's no clear cut line in the middle. He is trying to engage the girls to, to from a charismatic point of view or um, a um, you know hitting on them type way. But he asked a question that made them indulge in their own past and that doesn't suit his nature and that's when he starts getting upset. And, yeah, you, you know, it just build, it builds from there. I don't, I don't find a, a, any, any blinding factors in this movie. It's, it's, following its, it's following its story pretty, pretty straight. They don't really want to deviate just yet. I think they're focusing on just how easy it is to get in someone's house and how much this disorder is a problem and what it's like to be a single, like a mother with two kids when your husband's just not around. I guess that's the straight and narrow for this movie. I'm looking for a kicker. And so far, uh, what happens next with Meg is pretty standard when it comes to movies like this. He's got to eliminate the threat. He tries to charm her on by baiting her into the garage where he can have a cigarette during this storm that's uh, super wet and he doesn't want to go out anywhere so he wants to have a cigarette in the storm. So she's like, ends up coming in. I'm assuming she's testing him just to see what's going on, what the intentions are, I guess. And um, yeah, she's like, can I have one of those cigarettes? Gives her one. Tries to tell her that he was here to have an affair and that she didn't want to tell you because she doesn't like you and uh, she doesn't trust you anymore. And that's where Leslie Bibbs just like, oh, okay. And then she just calls him on the bullshit. I mean, you, you don't know this dude. He's pretending to have a broke down car. I mean, you, you, she saw the signs. She was a bit worried. But she just decides to fucking insult him and threaten him. And that's what you don't do. Because she cops a fucking shovel to the head. All right, that's it. I'm not going to give you any more spoilers in terms because I got told by my mate that this movie was worth a watch because of something. And I've just figured out, because I decided to do this movie review halfway through the film because I was just edging the talk. And I was like, come on, I just want to talk some shit. And then I've just watched the final half an hour. I paused my review, watched the rest of the half an hour. And I am struggling not to say anything that's going to give anything away. But this movie loses a little bit of credibility. Obviously, you've got the desperation of, oh, shit, this guy is really here to harm me. He's messing with my kids. He's got a gun. I'm an idiot. Where's my husband? The phone lines are cut. My friend's gone. The weather's bad. All that kind of stuff. Standard, cliche, home invasion type stuff. The one thing I question is when... This is where I, I question the whole sexual side of narcissism. And she smacks him over the f- head with a fire extinguisher at some point when she gets a chance. No, don't go down there and finish him off. Of course not. Just hit him once. He rolls down the stairs sideways, mind you, which means he did not break his neck. And he immediately gets back up like a goddamn Terminator and comes in and he's like, don't ever do that shit again. I'm like, oh, of course. She won't, mate. You've got a gun. She's so scared. Takes her down into her bedroom, gets in the bathroom, puts her in the shower, and then he gets undressed while he washes himself off. I mean, it's that feeling of power again, right? He's dominating the crap out of her, but she just needed to go down the stairs and finish him off with that extinguisher. The intensity in this movie is pretty... Yeah, it's okay. 
I mean, you already know if you watch one of these movies, you know what it's like. There's always that, where does he go on? Where's he gone sort of thing? Oh, he's around the corner. Where's that little power goes out or that, that noise? What's that? Um, that slow, intense music that they put in there, the ominous tunes. It's all there. So there's not much of a surprise. It just depends on what your level of reaction's like. And I'm looking for the, I'm looking for whatever. But he forces them into the car out in the weather, grab the kids, grab the baby, put them in the car and starts driving. And this is where I'm like, this movie's starting to lose a bit of credibility to me, a bit of love because they had it going in the house. But there'd be a reason for this part. And I'm going to stop after this part, just after this next section. So obviously they pass the broken down car in the bushes. The police are all over it. And he's like, just keep driving. Shut the fuck up. Don't talk to me. Don't even suggest that I'm losing blood and I need a hospital. All the, all the standard remedies that this movie would offer in any other movies that offer the, with a similar situation. He doesn't want to bar of it. He's like, nah. So of course they come up against the police car at a crossing. He's slightly passing down the pass, like passenger seat, and she gives the old cop the the flashy flashlights. They just they just dwell on things. Just take a little bit too long on some of these act these scenes, and I'm not sure if it was necessary, except to build up intensity. Now that they're outside the house, and you feel a little bit more at ease, wondering what's next. When the cop pulls him over and says, uh, can I see your license and all this kind of stuff? And he's grabbed the baby from the back seat to make it look like a little bit of a family thing and the baby was restless and he's like, um, why'd you pull me over? Is everything okay, ma'am? And he's looking at her like, shut your mouth, don't say anything, I'll neck this baby. And yeah, it's that part, mm, it, it wasn't even an exciting moment when the kid in the back seat just says with the headphones on, Mommy, where's daddy? I miss him. I want to go home. And of course, the cop hears, and that's where he's like, Hey, man, would you step out of the vehicle, please? It's like, dude, if you've got an inkling that this dude is not the dad, would you pull the mother out of the vehicle and leave the two kids in the car with the stranger and then question her? He's got an intuition. Clearly, he knows something's wrong. So he's waiting for her to tell her something. And then she, of course, lies. And says that this dude in the car is just the guy that I'm fucking because my husband's away. Meanwhile, Idris is in the car with his window down like he can hear everything they say. They're like at the back of the car. Can they not whisper in code or some smart thing? It, it, it played no part to the movie. I don't think it was even relevant. It was, it was her chance to get away. She didn't use it. It, there was no there was no development for this character. They didn't even need this part. They could have just gone straight from the house to the next house that they end up at, which is probably where I'm going to stop talking about it because this is the part where I want you to watch and just feel it like I felt it. I mean, yeah, not an A-plus movie, not an A, maybe a B, B-plus, let's just say that. And I like it. I was like, I like it, okay? That's all I'm going to say because everything else I'm going to say, I don't want to put any pretenses in your minds so when you're listening to this and you go, oh, wow, whatever, or oh, no, because Chris already told us about this and this or led on with these emotions. Just don't jump on, have a watch, appreciate Idris Elba's work, Leslie Bibb is smoking hot, Tani P. Hansen, I loved her from Proud Mary and every other movie she's in. She does a good job. This one, you know, she's really scared. You feel it. That's it. It's just, it's more about Idris and his ability to be 
crazily narcissistic with, um, as I said, the ad- advertisement for malignant narcissism, which I strongly believe it's like they're trying to push their case to get it in the journal or something as a real diagnosis. But make up your own mind. And, uh, yeah, boom, touched 32 minutes. Didn't want to talk this much with it, but it was probably worth it. There was so much, there was so much content to, to be said. No Good Deeds. It's on Netflix at the moment. Idris Elba, Tani P. Henson, Leslie Bibb, a couple other extras who gives a shit about. Watch it, enjoy, move on to the next one, and I shall chat to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. As always, bye-bye.